This is Reverend Chuck Blair. Welcome to our weekly podcast on New Church Live. Great to have all you here today, and, and we're looking at a church of mercy, and it's, it's been, a, been a fun series to kind of put together and to, and to talk about and discuss, and, and look at what exactly that means. Now, what we've done is we've looked at it in three parts. What does it, a church of mercy, look like? Second one, how do we get there? And third, why does it matter? Why does it matter? And we talked last week with how do we get there. We looked at a picture about a group that went down to Rose's Pizza down in Philadelphia, a pizza shop. And we'd mentioned this last week where you buy a slice of pizza. And then if you donate a dollar, you can write on a little post-it for somebody who's homeless to come in and pull a post-it and buy a piece of pizza with that post-it. Powerful, powerful stuff. We talked about how important that is because church tends to be one of these two things. Now, now not everyone comes to church every week, but we have enough people, I think, who were here last week that will be able to get this right away. So I'm going to point to it. I'm going to have you give the shout out. Church can either be a vending machine or a security camera. You know, we can look at church a lot of the time as being one of those two things, which actually gets us off of our game, gets us away from what church can actually look like, what, can it, what a church of mercy can be. If we're all caught up just in what just plain feels good to us with no worry about the outside world, a vending machine, that will hurt us, as well as if we just see it as a security camera, that the church is all about us judging other people. That will also be problematic. So we have to kind of find this this third way. Now, what I want to do is I want to share a video with you now from Shane Claiborne. And and you'll see Shane talking about these two poles. Now, now Shane Claiborne is 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 a Christian new monastic down in the Kensington section of Philadelphia. He actually has spoken with us on this stage. He's one of the leading Christian speakers in the country. And he offers a really, really good description of, of these two different ways of looking at church, as well as for that need for a third. So let's take a look at what Shane Claiborne has to say. To the church in North America and all the saints and sinners therein. My plea to the North American church is simple. November 2008, church. Dear sisters and brothers in North America. First of all, I, I sort of have a little disclaimer to start with, which is that in, in the Bible that I have here in my pocket, uh, the, the letters, the seven letters are written in red, which sort of uh, indicates they were directly from the mouth of God. So I said mine shouldn't be in red. It should, you know, be in black or maybe even pencil, you know. But I, 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 uh, I did try to step back and, and listen and, and sort of read the signs of the times a little bit. Many of us were raised in a legalistic, don't do this, don't do that Christianity that has left a bad aftertaste in our mouths. Our instinct is to run the other way and create communities that are safe, tolerant, and inclusive, and utterly undisciplined. This murky liberalism can lead to a sloppy spirituality. We must remember that disciple shares the same root as discipline. Church is at its best when it, it, it is... Um, in danger of non-existence because then we come back to God again. <laughs> and, we, and, and I think that we're, 
We're best when we are a peculiar contrast to the dominant culture rather than branding as the dominant culture, you know. Beware of the obsession with cultural relevancy. Certainly our faith must address the deep hungers of our age. We must read the Bible in one hand and the newspaper in the other. But to be relevant in the world does not mean that we are to be conformists. We must be relevant non-conformists. It's just as important to be peculiar as it is to be relevant. We are poised for a renewal because there is a moment right now, I think, where people are really tired of the lies of the dominant culture that happiness can be purchased or that violence will bring peace. And I think once again, the words of Jesus shine with an incredible relevancy uh, that address the very deepest hungers of our age. I love Shane Claiborne's words there about what church can be. And I love his description there where you can see like the vending machine approach that is totally undisciplined, as well as the other one that's completely judgmental and that both somehow mess. What we need to find is that third way, that deep church of mercy. You know, as, as in this theology, Emmanuel Swinburne said, you know, th- listen to these words, that mercy and the compact of peace are everything are everything that God is and everything that is God's. So trying to find that third way is, 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 is such an endeavor and such a blessed endeavor. And I love as well his phrase here, because the world, can we say those two words together? Because the world needs a, a peculiar contrast. It needs something that's kind of like a little bit different, a little bit out there so that, so that it helps to create this. It helps us to move towards this. A chaplaincy of the future. Where I was thinking like becoming a midwife to the future. That piece where we can, we can hold it out here, this peculiar contrast in this, in this world sometimes it can feel so broken and so hurt. And if that's all we're offering to it, I don't think we offer much. But if maybe we can find mercy again, we can find those those deeper third way parts, maybe, maybe we can reclaim some of what is lost in our world. Now to get us thinking about that concept about what's lost, and that's where we're gonna be talking about in the second part of the service, like how do we reclaim that and what does Christ tell us? I'm gonna have you do a question here. And for, we have a lot of new first-time people here today. I'm sure we have some new first-time people joining us online. What you can do is you can share this answer with each other, or you can text in this answer to me. And here's the question I want you to take a look at. We've all lost a thing that we risk, wish, really wish we could find again. What is that thing for you? When we talked about this in Sermon Writing Team, it went the whole way from a lost book to a lost relationship. When you think, yeah, you know, this is something I was lost. Man, I just, I wish I could find it again. What would that be for you? So please take 60 seconds, share it with the neighbor, or go ahead and text it in to me. Please share. Well, you folks have some beautiful ones. Beautiful ones. My uncle, my old stuffed animal, simple joy, 
always having, oh, this is such a good one. I, yeah, always having an optimistic outlook at life. No negative first, only positive. Uh, her, her mom's St. Christopher's medal. My uncle, my old Stefano, simple joy. My two aunts who passed away last year. A great relationship. Playfulness. Not being judgmental. Trust in my family, my mom. The, you know, this is a good one too. The innocent, false idealism with which I regarded love at first when I was younger. My poetry books. I had composition books filled with poetry. My kindness and friendliness. I wish I could be that person again. The one thing I could really find, wish I could find again is myself. A letter from my father wrote to me just before his death. Uh, intimacy, affection, and love in my marriage. The f- true freedom uh, to me to be me from my youth. My ability to trust easily. Uh, my dogs. These are good folks. You know, in a uh, high school ring, um, having coffee on Sunday morning with a very special friend. I know who that friend is. Those are, those are all pieces, right? And we can, just, we can just kind of feel that loss. We can feel it. We can understand it. We can, we can get like, wow, that really is hard. There's just this piece. And, and notice the number of you too who sort of had this idea that here's your best self. And maybe that best self was, was a certain way. And man, we just can feel like, oh, we've lost it. We've lost it. We've kind of lost that part of ourselves and we, we so much want to reclaim it. And as the band comes out, as the band comes out, I want to offer you something. I think God wants you to reclaim it too. I think that's one of the beautiful things that he offers, that idea of coming back around home again, home to who we truly are, home to our best selves, home to who we know we can be in our relationships, in ourselves, in our own lives. And when we come back, we're going to look at what that homecoming actually is. Like, what's the story that Christ offers that talks about that going out and reclaiming? So let's take a look, folks, at that, at that story and, and, and get, a, get a sense again. And, and, and I hope that you can hear that you can hold those areas where like, yeah, I just, Chuck, I feel like this is such a lost piece. And we can look at that lost piece and it may be the people that we miss, parents, family. It may be part of ourselves that we miss. It may be somebody not here that we miss. And and how is it that that Christ talks about that, talks about reaching out and, and, and attracting those parts, serving those pieces of us? And it's a story actually about sheep. Now, I want to set the context for the story. I'm going to start reading it here for a second. So, so Christ was out publicly talking. You know, he's, he was giving a little talk. And here he is talking, and he's talking to his, 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 his disciples are in there. Those were the 12 people who followed him as well as some other folks. Think of that as me, and think of that as you. And then over here on the side, there were these clergy called the Pharisees. Now, the Pharisees were really, really in love with this view of religion the security camera view. If they had had security cameras back then, these guys would have used them. So they're looking at what Christ is saying here to these disciples, and they offer a commentary on it. And then I want you to listen to how Christ answers. So they're kind of whispering among themselves, 
about, look at this group that he's hanging out with. Christ obviously is overhearing them, and he starts a beautiful story. So I'm going to read that story for you. This is out of the Gospel of Luke. Now, the tax collectors and sinners, and tax collectors and, and sinners would be the way we would say lowlifes. You know, the lowlifes, the really messed up. We're all gathering around to hear Christ. But the Pharisees, those people over there, and the teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Again, in this deeply cutting commentary where they're saying, look, look at who this guy's hanging out with. You know, look at the people he's choosing to spend time with. And then listen to this piece that Christ offers. Beautiful piece of scripture. Then Christ told them this parable. In other words, this story to answer the question. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Does he not leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? Now that story, that story is actually kind of interesting there. Jesus told them, suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one. Doesn't he leave the 99? I don't even say that O word there. Doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country, in the open country, and go after the lost sheep until he finds So he offers this. Now, again, in, in, our, in, our, in the way we live today, this, this, this story kind of sounds saccharine sweet, and it, and it sounds sort of almost like a Hallmark card, but there's so much meaning here that we totally, totally miss. Now, as many of you know, first-time attenders wouldn't know this, I, I grew up in, in a weird kind of thing where the family business was both a family farm and a nursing home, and I'm not going to bore you with how those two things came together. But I can remember animals out in the field, like we had cattle, we had a, we had a, we had a couple of, uh, you know, a couple of horses as well. So when I read this, like with animals and the idea of that open country, to me, it brings up a number of questions. And these are the questions it starts to bring up. Take a look at these questions. No, stick, if we go back one, go back one to the picture. If we go back, sorry. If you look at the picture, this is a picture of a hundred sheep. Okay. So, so think of this as this open country. This is Christ saying, okay, so it's like you have a hundred sheep and you're missing one. Now, automatically, there should be some pretty big questions coming up in your mind that are beyond the Hallmark card, kind of, isn't this a beautiful story? He's, he's, he's clearly trying to say something in an exaggerated sense here because these are the questions. First off, how would you ever know one was lost? Do you get that? You don't, if you're out in the open country, you're not going one sheep, two sheep. You do that to sleep, right? One sheep, two sheep. You're not able to do that. Plus, what are these sheep doing? They're moving. It's a moving target. There's no way you could possibly count them. And then the second question, would you care? You know, if I have like a hundred sheep and I'm, I'm trying to move them through and someone says, hey, wait a minute, one might be missing. My care meter doesn't spike at that moment. It's like, I got 99 things to worry about and you're asking me to worry about that? You gotta be kidding me. And then this last question, would you really leave 99 sheep in the open field just to find the one? Now, now imagine this, we have some teachers in the audience. Imagine you take 100 students to New York City, right? And, and you're the only teacher. I don't know why you would ever choose that, but but maybe you are a strange teacher and you do that. 
would you leave 99 kids in the middle of New York City and say, stay here, I'm finding the one I can't find? I would be like, what do I do, right? We'd be totally paralyzed by those kind of decisions. It's clear here that Christ is talking about something in an extreme to try to give us a sense of what this answer might actually be. I don't think these people were agreeing. They would have read this and they would have gone, well, who wouldn't do that? And they'd all be going like, I wouldn't do that. Because I don't know that I could. I don't know I would know who was missing. I don't know even if I knew that I would really be able to find the concern for that one over my concern for the 99. And I don't know whether I'd leave the 99 to find the one. But that's him talking about God and how God sees us. How God sees that missing piece of you. The part that you so badly want back. That part that you just wish you could reclaim. That part that brings you to tears. That part that when you heard Rebecca sing, you knew exactly what it was. That's what he's out to talk about. Both very literally with people in our lives who may be that one, as well as parts of our lives that may be that one. And what is this story about? It's about these four different pieces. Can we say these really loud for our online audience watching from Seattle City? Hello to the Tenaries. Ready? First one is? Second one is? Third one is? Fourth one is? Now, how many of us are memory challenged at times? So I made this really simple. Look at what it spells on the left. Lamb. You got it? So if you go back home, you can't remember anything, say, oh, we talked about lamb. Love, awareness, mercy, benevolence. That's what it's talking about here with God, that that of course we can't be all those things. We can never do all those things. We can't ever figure it all out ourselves. But God is saying, look, this is what God's kingdom is about. You know, notice that, folks. I want to come back to that again and again. This is Christ saying, this is what God's kingdom is about. This is God's agenda. Now, to these folks here, you know, the security camera folks, that doesn't make sense. That's that's foolishness. Like, it's not about finding the lost one. It's about making sure everybody's in a straight line. And if they're lost, it's, they're lost, obviously, and it's all their fault. And this group over here, they're not really interested at all in that, in that lost piece. Church is just a vending machine. It's just about feeling good. There's no discipline to it. There's no work. There's very little in the way of movement. So, and then the story goes on. We're going to look at that second part here, but I want to sort of set it up for you this way. I can remember on occasion getting the call that, you know, that a a cow had gotten out of the pasture. Now, when you went to kind of get a cow back in a pasture, do you think you did that gently? It wasn't a gentle thing. It wasn't a terribly fun thing to do. Cows have a mind of their own. You didn't go up to the cow, oh, gentle cow, Oh, beautiful cow, please come back to, back to the pasture. It wasn't like that. It was like, get back. It was a herding thing. And I'm sure that's the way a lot of these people would have heard this story. You know, it would have been, well, that one that left, they're going to get it. Oh, yeah, they're going to get it. 
or that part of you that you know that, that you feel is lost. Like, I don't know, somehow we, we, can, we can wrap guilt around that. You know, that, that feeling of this, of this lost part of me that it's, it's somehow broken off. And, and, and in that breaking, there's this pain and this guilt and this wondering of it, will it, will it ever return? And that's, you know, hold these words from Christ in that light of that broken peace that we worry will never return. Take a look at these words. And when he finds it, finds the sheep, please say the J word there, he joyfully puts it on, listen to this folks, like you should bring, I'm hoping some of you are getting teary over this, puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Think. Puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, rejoice with me. I found my lost sheep. That's beautiful. The the, the gentleness there, folks. I mean, just imagine, you know, if we can picture Christ picking up those parts of our lives that that feel so broken, that we feel so detached from, and those, those people who we feel, so, we feel might be just broken and detached from, from community. And, and here is Christ saying these very beautiful words, and the words come down to this, I get it. I get it. I'm working on it. I'm searching. I'm going out to find. See, notice when it says, and when he founds it, when he, when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulder and goes home. It says when Christ finds it, when he finds it, when he finds it. There is no question that those parts will be found and maybe in different ways, but that, but that Christ is searching and that he's bringing them back, I think, is, I think is something that's so important to just hold in our hearts. And that is what faith, maybe, maybe that is what faith is. And understanding that even in all this brokenness, that Christ is still out there searching for that one to bring him back home. So this brings up the question, the question of why does it matter? Can we go to the next slide? Why does it matter? Why does it matter? Why worry about creating a church of mercy? Why, why do these things? Why create community and organization that tries to do this, tries to live maybe in a way this parable of the 99 and the one? I want to give you a couple of answers. One is just you look at, at what Shane Claiborne said about being a peculiar contrast, an authentic alternative, a chaplaincy for the future. And I'm going to use the words of Gregory Boyle here. Why does it matter? Maybe first off, kinship. That idea of kinship, that idea that as as we sit here with 99 and we know that there's this one, that our job is to take steps out to be with the demonized and the dispossessed so that the demonizing will stop. So that the demonizing will stop. And we can step into that place, and yes, it feels every bit as threatening as the 99 leaving for the one, but that's what Christ asks, for us to be in that loving spot. 
And then what we can find there is we can find a kinship that comes so easily. Those connections between people, that, that, that humanity that we all share, regardless of how lost people are in their lives, give it enough time and there's a humanity there that we attach to. As Gregory Boyle would say, service is just the hallway. This kinship is the banquet. It's the party. I'm going to have you say what else it is. The H word that ends with om, it also is home. It also is home. And it can feel so easy, right, in our hurt and our disappointment around life to just think, nope, my job is just to gather the 99 closer and closer and closer and closer together. And there is a time for that. And there's also a time to step out onto the margins, actually stepping out into the suffering in search of kinship. And the last piece I would offer you about why it matters And some of you know this because you've heard the famous fable about the starfish. This this fable about the starfish for the kids out there who haven't heard it is is there were two people walking along the beach. My favorite beach is Avalon, so I'm going to say they're walking in Avalon. And they're walking along the beach, right? And, 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 and there's starfish all over. And they're, they're, there's, there's somebody just throwing them back, throwing them back. But there's far more starfish than they can ever save. Impossible task. But this is what happens. Somebody throws a starship, star, starfish. Somebody comes up and says, you know, you can't save them all. And the person offers this response. It matters. And he holds a starfish out and he says, it matters to this one. This is why we do it. Because it matters to the lost sheep. Because it matters to the lost sheep. It matters, yes, of course, to that lost part of you and that lost part of me that we all carry. It matters to that lost relationship that we're in that feels fractured and split apart and, and way out there and like we'll never get it back. It matters to the, to, 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 to the community that we can create too, a community that's very aware both of who is present and who is not present. And how do we reach out to those who are not present? How do we do that? We can create that kind of kinship. This is a beautiful story about the way that the world can work. This is Christ talking about the way the kingdom is supposed to function. And it's a beautiful thing. You feel like so much of what Christ is wanting to offer us here is this this sense of what the world can be. This vision, this eye-opening bit that's very candid about a world that's broken. And very candid as well about a world that's blessed. And I'm going to use this quote here to transition us into the baptism part of our service. Because I think it speaks to what Christ is trying to create here. This is as as Steve and Chrissy and I were talking about the baptism. Steve offered this quote. He said he'd taken a picture of it when we used here at New Church Live. And I want to start with this. If you want to build a ship, don't drum up people together to collect wood and don't assign them tasks and work. 
but rather teach them to long for the endless immensity of the sea. I think that's what Christ is talking about here. That's what he's addressing is to give us that idea of the immensity of the sea, this this thing that we can grow into, create, become. And it's, and it's just so hard, folks, as a pastor, because like it's, it's, it's so tantalizing and it's, it's difficult to get words into and it's difficult to explain and it's difficult for me to reach in and touch your heart. But I hope maybe when we look at parables like this, we can start to get that that's exactly what Christ is doing. Exactly what Christ is up to. And that's a very good thing. Because in the end... A church of mercy matters, and it makes a difference. I'd ask you now to please join me in prayer. I'm going to offer a prayer, and then you'll have the opportunity to say the Lord's Prayer, a prayer of your heart, or just to have a moment of quiet reflection. Lord, thank you for bringing us here together today. And Lord, stir in our hearts as we close this series what a church of mercy looks like, feels like, is like. Allow us, Lord, to move beyond the simple, the simple dualism of seeing church as a security camera, seeing it as a vending machine, and instead, Lord, allow us to move into a church of mercy, a church, Lord, that understands the 99 and the 1 that understands taking care of ourselves and understands as well taking care of others. And Lord, be with the Finks. You've been such a blessing to this congregation, Lord. Allow that blessing to continue to leave its marks on this world, in this church, in the community. And final, Lord, I offer a prayer for all those in here who bring a part that feels so lost that it can shatter their hearts some days. Allow them, Lord, even for a moment to feel your tender hand holding that. Your tender voice, Lord, calling them home. Your tender reassurance that you are looking to. Looking to looking to bring them back, Lord, looking to create the wholeness into which we are created, Lord, looking back to return us again and again to our best selves. Thank you, Lord, for your great grace in that endeavor. Thank you for your presence here today. Be with us this week. Let us think this week, serving the one. In your name we pray, amen. Thank you for listening. You can support this podcast at www.newchurchlive.tv.